This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. She spent over 20 years as an HR professional. Now she has a consulting firm called 304 Coaching. Jen Thornton from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I love fellow Texans on the podcast because we're we're different. We're a different breed of people. We are a very different breed and unique every day. Yes, we're a very unique group. And what I find very interesting is when I tell people from outside of Texas that you should come down and visit the country of Texas, they kind of look at me like when you make a high-pitched sound to a dog. But if you're from Texas, you get it. Absolutely get it. You know, I moved here 21 years ago. I mean, you know, I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I came from Rochester, New York, and I'm, I'm, I was done with the blizzards in 1997. I said, I'm done with the blizzards. I'm done with the ice storms. I'm done with the single digit temperatures and I will go down where it's warm and it's much uh, warmer, uh, especially in December, January, and February down here than is up North. So I don't miss that at all. It's yeah, pretty I- to look at on TV. I mean, I like watching snow on TV. It's so pretty, but I don't want to have to go shovel it. Yeah, I don't want to shovel it. And I certainly don't want to have to start my car like two hours before I want to go somewhere. I just want to get in the car and I want to drive away. I mean, and that's it. I use my auto start for the air conditioner. Oh, yeah. First world problems right there. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, I remember this is this is going to give a little inside baseball to the listener. But I remember when I lived up in Rochester, New York, and I used to I think I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. I was in college and my parents they were child abusers. They'd made me park my car outside. They kept the garage. I don't understand what's up with that, but I would have to go out and start my old jalopy. It was a jalopy and I had to let it run for 25 minutes while I shoveled the driveway. And now my parents didn't abuse me. I'm just saying it's a joke. Okay. Laugh people. Okay. Um, but I would be out there freezing and my parents would be come out in the garage and start the car and go to work. And I'm here. I'm freezing. And I'm like, that's not fair. I should park in the garage. I am a young child. Don't you care for me? And my parents just rolled their eyes and they just thought that was funny. <laughs> Sorry, you got to earn your stripes. And they wanted to show you why you should work hard so you will have a garage someday. Yeah. And you said, I'll show you. I'll move away. And there won't yeah. even be snow. So there you go. Well, they live in Florida now, too. So uh, <laughs> we've all we all said enough of the blizzards. Anyways, so before we get started, let's give the listeners some context. Who in the world is Jen Thornton anyways, other than what I just uh, introduced you as? So I um, I live in Dallas, Texas, as you said, but my background actually is mostly in the retail industry most of my life. Um, I started in the retail, I won't give away my age, but I will say that, um, you know, I worked in the mall, but when the mall was really cool and oh, that's yeah. what I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to be a cool kid at the mall. And um, so I spent the first half of my career in operations, the second half of my career in HR and did all different types of dis- disciplines in HR and ended up up um, leading an international HR team, which was incredible and fun. I got to live around the world. And then a few years ago, I kind of just woke up and I knew I needed to make a change. I um, wanted to do my own thing and, and kind of just see what that was like to go out on my own. And I was really passionate about talent strategies and teams and how that created business and that type of, you know, kind of concept. And so, yeah, so today I am the CEO and founder of 304 Coaching. And that's what we do. We help organizations with talent strategies and ensuring that their talent strategies and their business strategies go hand in hand. So where did the name 304 coaching come from? 
Oh my gosh. So <laughs> this is so funny. I was going to leave, you know, I knew I was leaving my job and I um, have a person I used to work with who was an executive at another company and she knew I was leaving and she calls and she said, I need you to come in tomorrow and pitch to my CEO. And I was like, tomorrow, I, I haven't left my job. I don't have a name for my company. And she's like, well, you better figure out one tonight. And I'm like, okay. And so I didn't really know what to call it. Um, I had just a couple of hours and 304 is a combination of dates and it's always been my lucky number. And I thought, well, I'll just go with my lucky number and see how that goes. And it's been absolutely lucky since then. That is so funny. I love that story. That is incredible. So now you say that you are really fascinated with conversation intelligence. You call it C hyphen IQ. So what do you mean when you talk about conversation intelligence? What does that mean? So conversation intelligence is a uh, methodology program education, but what it does is it really helps us start to understand the neuroscience of the mind and how does the mind take in language and conversations? And then when, as you're taking in language and conversation, how does that impact the chemicals in your brain, our reactions that are unconscious that we can't control? And then as you know, we are reacting to conversations or someone's reacting to our language, how does that um, influence? their behaviors, and therefore their business results and the company's organization. So we spend a lot of time understanding how to um, create environments of trust and safety so that people can do their best work. Well, I am utterly fascinated by this conversation intelligence. So let's camp out here for a while. Give us some insights uh, and maybe you give us some strategies on how we can become better conversationalists. So what's interesting is, you know, how we've been leading for the last, you know, long while, um, you know, the last century, um, it actually is a very fear-based, um, very fear-based. And even mm -hmm. when we, we think we're saying something really nice to someone, we're not. Um, we're creating fear and it's how we were taught to um, lead. So for example, oftentimes we were taught that, you know, as a supervisor, you need to have a strong opinion about everything. As a supervisor, you need to make sure you know it all. As a, you know, And so all of this stuff that we've been told that we're supposed to do to be a great leader actually creates fear within our teams and therefore our teams are hanging out in their primitive brain. And so what we want to do is really think about language that creates um, trust and um, inspires people. So gosh, you know, one example, one of the ones I see happen all the time, you hire someone and you're excited about the experience they bring to the table and you're so excited about their ideas and the interview and you're like, this is going to be great. And that person comes to you that after two weeks and says, I have all these ideas. And you're like, yeah, we've done all that before and it didn't work. Mm. And so just by trying to be honest, which CIQ is about honesty, but it's how we deliver it. We have actually now told this person, I know I hired you for all your brains and your intellectual horsepower, but I'm not going to want you to use it while you're here. And it shuts people down from being innovative and creative. And so in that situation, someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I've been here for two weeks. I see all this opportunity. I want to talk to you about it. You know, we start to kind of get defensive. Don't get defensive. Look at it as an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to explore, opportunity to connect with this new employee. And so saying things like, hey, you know, I want to hear what you have. And if they're telling you things that you're like, you know what, and you know inside it may not work, you can say things 
things like, hey, I don't see that or we've tried that before, but today's a new day. It's a new era. So sell me on your concepts. Tell me why you think it would work this time when we know it hasn't worked in the past. So you can still say no. You can still um, kind of negotiate through that conversation, but it's allowing someone to use their mind and their um, all of the stuff they're bringing to the table and encouraging someone to be truthful and honest with you over time. Hey there, it's Mark, and I will coach you for less than $2 a day, plus give you access to a group coaching call every single month. For more information, visit MrProductivity.com. You know, I can remember back when I worked for a company, it was like in the early 2000s. And I, back then, the bot, I had a supervisor and a manager. Uh, they could have both used your help because they did not listen. They looked at it like, I'm the supervisor, I'm the manager. You're just a, a minion. They'll go do your work. If I brought them ideas, they would dismiss them outright. They didn't want to hear what me or anybody else that was working there had to say. And I remember I would get so frustrated because I would hate going into work because I didn't felt, didn't feel heard. I, 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 if I had a better way of doing something that would improve the bottom line of the company, I didn't feel hear, heard. And after a while you're like, well, I'm not even going to bother opening my mouth anymore because they're not listening to me. And I could have saved them some time, some money, I could have made processes better, but they really were not open to that. Now, they were old school management. They were like, hey, I'm the boss. I tell you what to do. You say yes, sir, and we'll be happily ever after. But I think that's uh, we've come a long way in the last uh, 15 years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how we start to shut down as employees. And, you know, there's nothing more dangerous than your most um, vibrant and boisterous employee getting quiet because you know something's wrong. And I have leaders come to me all the time and they're like, oh, you know, I need you to work with my team because they don't tell me ideas. They never think of anything new. They, um, you know, they, they can't make a decision without me. And I'm like, I don't know if I need to talk to your team. You and I may, may need to talk, right? <laughs> because if everyone on your team has the exact same problem and it's not making decisions and those types of things, then the chances are that's how you're leading. You're creating an environment that tells people, I need you not to be honest with me. Now, what and, do, when you say this to the leader, what do they say? I mean, because you said it, you're looking right in the face. You tell them that. I mean, what do they say in response to that? Yeah, sometimes they're, they're, they're kind of a little in shock, like... <laughs> How dare you, right? Um, and but what I, you know, say to them is if everyone's doing something similar and you have 10 people that are reporting to you, there's one common thread, and that is your leadership style. And so I, you know, sometimes have to say, negotiate through that. Like let's let's just pretend. Let's pretend that um someone comes to you with an idea and you think it's just ridiculous. It's it's no good. What do you say? Oh my gosh, I let them know. They better come better back better next time. I let them blah blah. And I'm like, really? And how many people do you say that in front of? Well, I let the whole team know. Okay. So Oops. let's think about what that means, right? And so you kind of ask them questions and back them into the reality of it. Um, but that's what a great business coach does, right? A great a great business coach brings a mirror and helps you see what you can't see yourself. Now, 
the last job I had that I was, I was actually fired from, uh, they did something called confidential surveys. And I remember the organization was really big on these. So everyone got to take these surveys. You didn't take them on the job. You, you took them like at home. They didn't want to know anybody who took them. Have you ever used those? Do you think they're effective? Because I know my manager, my supervisor were the old school. They hated the idea. They want to know who was answering what question, which defeated the whole purpose. Because when you give people a confidential outlet, they're more likely to be honest. And the C-suite wanted to know, but my supervisor manager didn't want to know for obvious reasons, because they, like I said earlier, they didn't, weren't listening to us. So have you ever dealt with a confidential survey or suggested it to a, a client? So I have dealt with them and I think there's a lot of ways to deploy them and you have to, before someone deploys them, I think the first thing you have to say is why and what will I do with this information? Because oftentimes we think it's a really good to deploy these types of surveys and we're going to get great feedback. If your company is really not willing to change and hear it, then don't do it. Because what you're going to do is you're going to remind people why they gave you that feedback. I'm going to, you know, so if you ask me to be honest and then we're confidentially honest and then you look at and go, eh, that's not true. Well, you've just validated their opinion and you've proven to them that they're right, that you aren't going to listen to that feedback. So they can be good in the right ways, but no company should deploy them unless the executives, the highest of the high, because that's where the culture starts, says, we're going to take this information at face value. We're going to take it as the, as the facts. We're going to look for common themes because you're going to get some, you know, things on the, you know, far ends of the spectrum, but we're going to look for common themes and we're going to be honest and share those with organ, with the organization. And we're going to share our action plan and we're going to try to make mark improvement and we're going to come back and follow up. If you're not willing to do all of that, then I tell people don't waste your time, money, because you're actually going to damage the culture more by doing it. You know, what's interesting is after the surveys were done and they're collated and the C-suite looked at them, they came out to my department and they gave us, okay, here's what you guys were saying. And I remember saying to myself, this stuff is so simple. It wasn't like we want a million dollar raise or, you know, all have brand new cars. It was really simple stuff. And I'm like, seriously, it came down to the, it was the simple things that the people were complaining about that they didn't feel comfortable going to the supervisor or manager. And, and here's the thing. I don't know what the conversations were between like, we had assistant director, we have directors and we had the supervisor, the manager. I would love to be in the room when those uh, results were first, you know, uh, announced to the staff, to those people, because I would like to know what the director said. What did the assistant director say? What was the mood in the room? Because I got a feeling that based on what I knew about my supervisor manager, they were really ticked that these people did anything other than give them glowing recommendations. When you come on, you're smart. You got to know if you mistreat people and then they have the opportunity to do a confidential survey, they're going to be honest and I don't, I would love, I wish I had a recording one in that room because I'm sure it wasn't very pleasant. Yeah. Well, and those supervisors in the room, they probably entered with a lot of fear because they probably knew the chances are they were not going to get great feedback. Their boss might find out they weren't as amazing as they had been putting on a show <laughs> to be, right? Look at me. I'm so amazing. Um, 
And they probably walked in with a lot of fear. And then when they read the results, that that fear also then felt like judgment towards them. And when we are in fear and our brain is in fear, especially in the workplace, because we're tribal creatures, we were we were created that way, you know, when we were, you know, way back when we were first, you know, evolving, we were created as tribes because you couldn't survive by yourself. You couldn't provide heating and food and warmth, like all that stuff, shelter. And in today's world, we're still that way. You lose your jobs. You may not be able to provide housing, food for your family, right? So we're still in that tribal place. And so when they got that feedback, chances are they were in fear, they were in judgment, then they acted out. Because when we're in fear, we have to kind of act out um, to make sure that we can start to gain control back so that we're not voted out of the tribe. So I'm sure it was very interesting. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, it was really just a chemical reaction. That is all fear is, is a chemical yes. reaction to keep you alive. And that's why we have it. And so, yeah, so their uh, fear chemical, I'm sure was just, you know, going crazy. One of the benefits of being a subscriber to my email newsletter is you get access to free weekly training from me. To sign up for my email newsletter, just go to MrProductivity.com. <laughs> now, let's talk about, let's zoom out a little bit about conversation intelligence because we all have conversations, you know, now we're doing more of them virtual or on FaceTime, what have you, but we always have conversations with the people in our houses or for work, whatever the case may be. What are some of the mistakes you see people make when they are engaging in a conversation that you would wish you could come up to us and throw a, a flag like in football and say, hey, penalty, uh, you're doing you know, a 15-yard penalty for what you just did. What are some of those things you see all the time? Oh, gosh, there's so many good ones. Um, so one of the ones that I see a lot is, um, you know, the supervisor has to think that they are making the actual decision. You know how you always say, oh, well, just make your boss think it's their idea. You know, that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard, we've all heard that a time or two. So saying things like that. So, you know, if I am the leader and my team comes to me and they um, have to tell me bad news, like, why is this product struggling? And every time time someone says, well, it's because of this or because of that. And the boss is like, nope, nope, that's not it. That's not it. Those are the things where I'm like, no, no, let them talk it out because they need to talk out the problems. They're the closest person to the product, the closest person to the customer. They need to talk it out and asking questions versus shutting people down. Maybe you do believe it's something else, but you have to ask questions to really kind of dig into that. Um, I think that so often as supervisors, we just say no flat out at the beginning um, and saying things like, you know, I, I don't see it, but change my mind. And I just had this experience with someone on my team Friday. Um, we were talking about some marketing and she wanted to go a certain direction. And I'm all about hire an expert and let them be an expert. So my team pushes back and, you know, they tell me all kinds of stuff all the time. And that's great. I want that. I need that. And so she had a really firm belief on what we should do going forward with marketing. And I have a very different one. And I was like, I'll, let, you know, I'll hear you out. Like, tell me everything you think. And so she told me why she thought that. And I gave her the feedback on why I thought that it wasn't the right decision. Now I'm no marketing expert, but I know where I want to take the brand and the business. And so we ultimately decided not to do it. But instead of just saying to her, like, I don't want to talk about it. I said, no, 
that would have shut her down for giving me great ideas in the future. And I need great ideas. All of us need great ideas. And so by allowing her to work through it with me and to me work through it, she got to see my viewpoint. I got to see hers. And I created an environment that even if I'm going to say no, it's the it's about the journey. It's about the conversation to get to the knower. Yes. And then my hopes are that I did it in a way that she continues to bring me great ideas. When you were talking there, I thought of a story I heard about Adolf Hitler. I'm not calling you Adolf Hitler. I'm just saying I heard a story <laughs> yeah. of him. Just want to clarify that, Jen. Um, his people knew that you only brought him good news because if you brought him bad news and say, oh, yeah, we're losing on this front, he would kill the messenger. So people learn really quickly, hey, only tell him the good news. And what, what I learned, because I, I like to study World War II, is toward the end of World War II, even if they had bad news, they would tell him good news because they didn't want to be killed. You knew he was going to kill you. And and that's that's when you're talking about the leaders who like had closed minds and just say, only tell me the good news. That's the same thing. You're, you're ultimately going to hurt yourself because you cannot make good business decisions on a lie. You have to know the truth. I mean, if, if, if a product is doing horribly and your staff goes because they're afraid of you going, oh, yeah, it's going great. And then now everybody gets hurt. And so it does hurt to go to your leader and say, Hey, listen, um, it ain't going the way we want it to go. And, uh, they may get mad, but then they can begin. Okay. How do we recover from this? But if you don't tell them the truth, then everybody's operating with incomplete information. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and you have to get excited about failures. And I know that's really hard for leaders sometimes. Um, and there are failures that we're not going to get excited about policy violations or something that costs, you know, a million dollars because we didn't do something like that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about failures like fail fast. And if you can get your team excited about failures or excited about, you know, um, you know, I this didn't go well. And here's what I learned. So this is how we're going to do it. And it's going to be better than it ever was. That's when you start to get the truth out of people. And so, you know, as a leader, if, you know, if you have your team together once a week, then part of that meeting needs to be, tell me what we messed up on. Tell me where our failure was this week, because all of us need to learn from it and we need to celebrate it and get excited about that failure. And what that does is it tells people, hey, when things are going south, I can tell you early in the game and you have a chance to step in and course correct. And you have a chance to learn from that person's failure, just like everyone else on your team. And, you know, if you expect everything to be perfect, you expect everything to be going just like you want it to, especially in, you know, the times we live in today, you, it just doesn't work that way. You're going to have to get excited about failure. So people learn how to pivot and pivot quick. One of the things that I, as I study leaders, the greatest leaders, they listen more and talk less. There's been uh, books I've read and you know documentaries I've seen where the leader will just be at the head of the table and they won't say anything, but they're listening to everyone. And I think a true leader is going to listen far more than they talk because they want to get all the information. And, and if you don't have all the information, like I just alluded to, and then you responded to it, if you don't have all the information, it's really difficult to make the proper decision. Is that correct? Absolutely. You need to listen, but you also need to ask great questions. Yes. 
And, you know, I think that is when I look at really strong leaders, they know how to ask the question that gets them the information to make a decision. Because as a leader, basically, we're just decision trees, right? We just say yes, no, yes, no, we're just making, we're making decisions, right? And if you don't listen, if you're, you know, you're just, you know, talking more than hearing, then you can't make, you you don't get the information you need. You don't have enough viewpoints to make a strong decision. And if you only listen, then you get what's surface because you're getting what someone picks to tell you. But if you ask fantastic questions, that's when you start to really learn and dig in. And it helps your team start to think in a bigger way because questions expand the mind. Yes. And one of my favorite questions to ask, especially my my uh, coaching clients, is why? Because they'll say, well, thus and such and thus and such and thus and such. And I'm like, why? And they've never thought about the why. And I'm like, okay, why is this happening? Why do you think this is happening? And I, I force them to dig deeper. And I know the common question that leaders ask is why? Why is this not exceeding expectations? Why is it this product struggling? Because that is like the question why is only three letters long, but it's like a ginormous, powerful shovel. And you've got to ask enough questions, like you said, great questions to get to the root of the problem. Because let's be honest, very rarely is the problem ever up the surface. It's you have to dig deep to get the problem. And that's where the great questions comes into play. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're wondering the whys, you know, questions you can also ask are, you know, when I look at, you know, what you've brought me, if, if none of these options were available, what would be your next option? Hmm. And because you're really trying to expand people and you can even ask, you know, you know, you said that this failed because of these three reasons. If these weren't the reasons, what would be the reason? Because it starts to get them to think even deeper because they have to come up with one more thing, right? And then as your brain comes up with one more thing, then it's like, oh, wait a minute, here's the number two and number three item. And, you know, my favorite question to ask is, what what did I not learn in this conversation that I should have learned? Or what questions should I have asked that I didn't? Or what do you wish, what do you know that I need to know that you're afraid to tell me? Come on, just tell me because I need to know. So asking and getting people to expand on what they've brought you from a surface standpoint. One question I read about recently, I don't remember where I read it, is I hate this question, is you come in and bring the finished product or the report or project, whatever the case may be to your boss, and you hand it to them and they go, is this the best you can do? And I hate that question because you haven't even read it yet. And it's like, you know, how about looking at the report and then asking the question? But when you just like dismiss it, I think that's very disrespectful to the person who did the work. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, that's, it's funny. In one of my trainings, I actually use that exact example is, is this the best you can do? It's so funny you bring that up. But how we want to change that is when you look at what you delivered here, do you, you know, based on your time and resources, what grade would you give yourself? You know, if I, if you had one more, if it's something time sensitive, if you had an additional 72 hours to work on this project, would you deliver something better for me? Because oftentimes we get what we get because of the constraints we give someone. So if we ask them to do a project that really takes 30 hours, but we want it in five, then guess what? We get a five hour project. 
And so really getting them to kind of think about that question you asked, because getting them to get honest about what they delivered is much easier than you saying something, you know, like, you know, is this the best you can do? Because all of a sudden that person's in fear. And when we're in fear, again, it's that primitive brain and that prefrontal cortex shuts down. And that's where learning ideas, collaboration, innovation, everything you're asking for is in the prefrontal cortex. But the way we talk to people moves them away from that. And it doesn't allow that part of the brain to work. Wow. Well, this has been an incredible conversation, Jen. I really appreciate all the insights you gave us. Where can we go to find out more about you? So you can go to 304coaching.com and we have some CIQ resources there you can download or connect with me on LinkedIn at Jen Thornton ACC. And see, I called it C hyphen IQ. See how little I knew it's called yeah. CIQ. That sounds so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Conversation intelligent. Yeah, it's the CIQ. Okay. Well, it sounds much better when you say it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time and your insights you share with us. Thank you so much. It's always fun to spend time with you. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Find out how I can coach you for less than a dollar a day. No joke. And also, you can get my top five productivity tips and so much more. It all happens at mrproductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.